to my sensational family and friends near and far, old and new. This is Kevin Mercurio on the mic, and welcome to the 30th episode and the season 3 finale of the Metaphorgens podcast. First, to show support if you like this sort of content, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on. And follow at Metaphorgens on Instagram, that's at Metaphorgens, where I'll be posting most of my updates as well as on my personal website, kjbmercurio.com slash Metaphorgens. As we come to the end of the season, and if you like this new format, do give it a rating on the podcast service you're using, as it takes about five seconds, and it's certainly helpful in supporting the show. Also, if you have more than five seconds, maybe 30 seconds or a minute, leave a mini-review. I read all reviews and DMs to the show, and your feedback will be used to strengthen future seasons. As listeners of this podcast know, there are some special episodes with swag giveaways, and today is one of those episodes. I'll be giving out my last custom butterfly-printed Metaphorgen shirt to one of you lucky listeners right now. And I have done the draw using the follower list on the Metaphorgen's Instagram page. And the winner is Sangavi Sivananthan. Yahoo! Congratulations. I'll shoot you a message following this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no words to fully express how thankful I am that you are listening to this right now. How crazy is that? You, wherever you are, whether you're in Ireland or Canada, whether we've actually met in person or whether we've connected on social media, are interested in learning more about communication, about language and its origins, about scientific discoveries, and how to best share these wonderful findings. This season was a test on how a format like this could be received from two tribes I relate to, one of the creative writer mind and one for the academic researcher mind. And I myself have grown a lot on not just how to run a project such as this, devising, interviewing, editing, and marketing an audio show, but even as a person, learning how to have fun with words, how to thoroughly investigate cultural phenomena, and how to actively listen to another person. I actually enjoyed the late nights, the feedback, and the engagement with the audience, and will continue all that in future seasons. I am announcing that I will again take a brief break to focus on my academic responsibilities, starting this new PhD program and other creative endeavors on my writing side. Note that there will be more outrageous stories, informative audio essays, and discussions with extremely talented people in all sorts of disciplines where techniques of communication are necessary to succeed. Season 4 will premiere sometime in September 2021. Remember that if you're passionate about something and work hard in doing what brings you that passion, I would love to collaborate with you and discuss those topics. With that said, I have more ideas to grow this platform, so stay tuned and thank you again for your invaluable attention. All right, phew, a bit of a heavy intro. We have a special episode today as we pause on the metaphorical aspect and focus on an important yet often neglected, concept in academia. An idea so large that, when completed, not only advances our collective knowledge, but also shatters windows if thrown hard against them, and sometimes even shatters dreams. And that topic is the thesis. Now, I know what you're thinking. Kevin, Kev, my man, why do this? Why end the novel season with a topic as mundane as the thesis? It's not so much a topic either, more of a format, really. 
I will continue listening, but how dare you? And that's valid. In fact, one of the reasons why I want to do an entire episode on the thesis is due to its minute amount of content, a challenge for my creativity. By thinking about it, and with a little bit of research on the subject, its intricacies regarding the various ideas it's connected to, I hope to convince you that the thesis is one of the most important structures of knowledge a person will ever create in their entire life. To the majority of you, graduate students and postdoctoral fellows, perhaps even undergraduates or later stage academics, you very likely had to write a thesis yourself. Hell, maybe you're writing one right now, but decided to procrastinate with a podcast episode about the thesis. And if you haven't, well, after working on this episode, I'm not so sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing anymore. To my other category of listeners, probably friends and family outside of the academic sphere, you could think of the thesis in its simplest form, an argument for something backed by research. With over hundreds of pages of double-spaced text, figures, and tables, the goal of this heavy stack of paper is to convince you of an original idea put forth by the author. And this concept is independent of what field of study the author finds themselves. Ideas are what fundamentally change the world we live in. In one TED Talk by success researcher Richard St. John, he lays out four simple methods that lead to great ideas, which I will paraphrase. One, find a problem. What issues do we face and what gaps in knowledge are there in your field? Two, listen to people. What do others think about this problem or what have previous experts demonstrated in your field? Three, look at your surroundings. Where would solutions be or what can you do to solve this problem? And four, write down the idea. How does one communicate the solution to the problem? You might notice the methods that lead to a great idea provide the foundation for a thesis. Principally, the thesis is an idea in its purest form, looked at from multiple angles with all its wonders and flaws. Like the biology of a virulent killer responsible for a global pandemic, it's horrendously beautiful. The content of a thesis is something to behold. Even if the topic doesn't necessarily interest you at first, a thesis contains three, four, or sometimes even more years of someone's life. And that's cumulative, surpassing well outside normal work hours and into their personal lives as well. Like maybe in their second chapter, while they were researching the function of a novel protein they discovered, they were also buying their first car, or saying goodbye to a relative who had passed away, or saying hello to a newborn child. Or maybe it doesn't have to be that profound. Maybe in their fifth chapter, while writing about the significance of their overall findings to the world, they made their eighth cup of coffee that day or are looking out their window at a blue, cloudless sky, connecting thoughts, but also lost in thought. This is something we often forget. The thesis, whether producing the results for a thesis, the experience of writing a thesis, or the indirect background occurrences since the inception of a thesis, all spanning a significant portion of someone's life, encapsulates one piece of work. And yet, one thing is for sure, Anyone who has written a thesis will say that it was difficult. Probably one of the hardest things one ever had to do in their life, essential to completing most graduate and some undergraduate programs, at least within STEM-based fields. Writing a thesis leads to restless nights, an absurd amount of screen time, joints that hurt so much that it actually pains more to correct back posture or wrist positioning on the keyboard. At least people don't have to handwrite everything anymore. It results in bad moods, as well as indulging in negative impulses like poor dietary regimens and disregarding social relationships. 
It involves people literally devising systematic behaviors to organize the monstrous amount of information in one's mind and write efficiently, but it will never be up to one's expectations. In a 2018 article written in Science Magazine, in which recent graduates and current students reflect on their experiences writing a thesis, one mentions, quote, beware of perfectionism, as this will likely cause delays in its completion. It's like publishing an incomplete novel. That's just preparing and writing a thesis. Even after these phases, one's cosmic link to this work has not yet been disentangled. If all goes well, and the thesis is at least coherent, one now needs to defend the thesis in front of experts on the topic. This involves converting hundreds of pages into a reasonable amount of PowerPoint slides, which will then be delivered with confidence in person. At least pre-COVID times, who knows what the standard template will gravitate towards. Perhaps this is the most stressful part, as everything the author has done up until this point had the benefit of gradually accumulating over time. Defending the thesis occurs on one specific day, usually lasting several hours, where experts assess the knowledge of the thesis author and criticize the idea put forth. Yes, it is possible to fail here, no matter how revolutionary your idea is. Have a way of capturing CO2 from Earth's atmosphere, reducing global emissions, and solving the climate crisis? Noise. Discovered a cure for all cancers by an mRNA vaccine that specifically targets tumor cells given in the form of a chocolate bar? Grand. Really. I mean, it's all explained in this written thesis. But could you verbally tell me the background information leading up to your thesis, how your idea works, and its overall significance in simple terms, and with graphics? And why is this idea better than the previous idea? Did you think about this other idea? More on the thesis defense in a little bit. My interest with the thesis is how uninteresting it is to people, especially those who have been through the process in its entirety, despite all I've said. For those outside of academia, perhaps this lack of a second thought is due to its seemingly minimal impact on your life. And for those in or recently in the academic space, perhaps this subject somehow brings contrasting feelings of anxiety and boredom, two mental states one does not actively pursue further. And here we come to the purpose of this episode, as my goal is to change that notion. By diving into the origins of the thesis, the process of preparing, writing, and defending a thesis, and the aftermath of fully completing a thesis, all of which are impacting the author's professional and personal life, mental health, and equally impacting those of its readers, reflecting on the thesis is not just a fascinating thought experiment, but a necessary one. I hope to provide that novel perspective on what doing a thesis really means, with a focus on STEM fields. Towards the end, I have invited a special guest who literally went through the entire thesis process as recent as last month, where together we share our own experiences and humanize this abstract concept even further. The thesis is much more than just a template for pedantic erudition. On the contrary, Italian novelist and author of the 1977 book How to Write Your Thesis, Umberto Eco describes, quote, Your thesis is like your first love. It will be difficult to forget. With the rewarding highs and the many, many lows, Eco argues that the thesis is an epic struggle, a task demonstrably difficult and seemingly impossible that almost all memorable heroes from any interesting story undertake. This is a best summed up by writer Huasa in his 2015 New Yorker article about Echo's book titled, quote, A Guide to Thesis Writing That is a Guide to Life, where he states, quote, We might even think of the thesis, as Echo envisions it, as a formal version of the open-mindedness, care, rigor, and gusto with which we should greet every new day. 
It's about committing oneself to a task that seems big and impossible. In the end, you won't remember much beyond those final all nighters, the gauche inside jokes and sullies on acknowledgements pages that only four human beings will ever read, the awkward photograph with your advisor at graduation. All that remains might be the sensation of handing your thesis to someone in the departmental office and then walking into a possibility rich, almost summer afternoon. Let's walk through it all together. Most of this information was obtained from many articles and videos discussing various aspects of the thesis process, all sources we mentioned in the description. Think of the last argument you had with someone. What was it about? Maybe something minuscule with a friend about whether you were on Team Bill or Team Melinda Gates, or with a flatmate about who keeps leaving dirty dishes in the sink because it obviously wasn't you. Or maybe something with more weight, like a conversation with a family member about their destructive addictions, or with a colleague about the team's productivity on the quarterly project. Or maybe something completely sagacious, like an argument with yourself about your mental health. Most of these conversations aren't easy, as they have many side stories that lead to some outcome, cause and effect, but there's like 50 causes leading to one effect. Getting really deep into conversations like these normally end in chaos, with unfinished thoughts and countless tangents. If only there was some way to organize those thoughts. The best arguments, whether they were spontaneous or thought over for years, kind of have that structure of a thesis, don't they? You see, anyone, anywhere is attempting the thesis process. Put so eloquently by Umberto Eco yet again, he mentions in How to Write a Thesis that its allure is, quote, the knowledge that anyone can teach us something. That's because literally anyone can perform research and share that knowledge with the world. Stated on the University of Minnesota's website, quote, whether you are a scientist, an artist, a paralegal, or a parent, you probably perform research in your everyday life. When your boss, your instructor, or a family member asks you a question that you do not know the answer to, you locate relevant information, analyze your findings, and share your results. Now, how do you even define what a thesis is? Cambridge Dictionary has two definitions, the first being, quote, a long piece of writing on a particular subject, especially one that is done for a higher college or university degree. And the second being, quote, the main idea, opinion, or theory of a person, group, piece of writing, or speech. These definitions are probably what we're most familiar with, the long piece of writing with a main statement putting forth an idea. And we think about these when someone utters the word, along with the visual of pizza box stacks and the scent of unlimited instant coffee. A more detailed definition can be found on lexico.com in regards to Hegelian philosophy, where thesis means, quote, a proposition forming the first stage in the process of dialectical reasoning. Hegelianism, attributed to German philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, is the notion that reality is capable of being expressed in rational categories and is part of the more broader philosophy of absolute idealism. Dialectical reasoning, or simply dialectics, as described on its Wikipedia page, quote, is at base a discourse between two or more people holding different points of view about a subject but wishing to establish the truth through reason methods of argumentation. 
Without getting too lost in advanced philosophy, one can realize that the thesis, in this sense, aims to argue with itself towards the truth. Let's briefly stay within philosophy now that I've brought you here anyway. One could not talk about the thesis without bringing up one of the goats of philosophy, Aristotle, a man given the title father of to various notable branches of knowledge like biology, the scientific method, and even logic itself, Aristotle was the first to define the thesis. Coming from Greek meaning something to put forth, he states in Topica, quote, a thesis is a supposition of some eminent philosopher that conflicts with the general opinion. For to take notice when any ordinary person expresses views contrary to men's usual opinions would be silly. And therefore, the thesis would be, quote, a supposition that is stated in contradiction with general opinion or expressed disagreement with other philosophers. It is this understanding of communicating brash ideas that paved the way for the thesis today. The ambition to bring new knowledge to light should be celebrated. Yet, it isn't until it's forced upon students in an academic institution that it suddenly becomes this eldritch horror, something to run away from and never look back. And it doesn't help that Google's autofill prediction when you type why do A is completed with PhD at number one or masters at number four. Why should one pursue an advanced degree likely involving the synthesis of the dreaded thesis? In a video by Dr. James Arvanitakis, Dean of Graduate Studies at Western Sydney University, he explains four reasons why you should do a PhD if interested. One, have a passion for uncovering new knowledge. Two, to learn a new set of high-end skills. Three, if you want to make a difference. And four, if you want to be an academic and enjoy working in an academic environment. Like myself, you probably thought that these reasons, despite being potentially easier to achieve in a graduate-level program, do not need a graduate-level program to fulfill. In fact, in a viral video by science communicator Toby Hendy, she describes her experience withdrawing from her PhD program to over 1 million viewers. Uploaded in 2019, she has since become successful through her YouTube channel and aspires to start a business regarding learning and education. What's important here is that you have reflected on why you may want to undertake higher education in a world where there are many options available at all stages of a person's life. Let's say you've put your foot on the gas and drove past the entrance to Thesis Lane. Welcome! There's free snacks and coffee in the seminar room. Now, do you eagerly start gathering data for that thesis submission in a few years' time? Well, this might depend on your field, but this will certainly depend on your supervisor, a professor or scientist in the field that overlooks your project. One aspect about the preparation phase of the thesis is that student-supervisor relationship. Choosing a supervisor is probably just as important as choosing to undertake a thesis-based program at all, as the type of relationship that develops over the program is what often makes or breaks it for students. Mentioned on McGill University's graduate and postdoctoral page, the expression of mutual respect and openness is key, and guides to strengthen the support are relatively new. Through my own conversations with graduate students and postdoctoral fellows, there seems to be two extremes. On one end, you have the micromanager, hindering your ability to think critically and learn from your mistakes in a constructive manner. And on the other end, you have the ghost, appearing only when deemed necessary, such as when the project is in utter disarray. The supervisor could be a legend in the field on their way to a Nobel Prize. However, this means nothing in regards to your professional career if you can't learn from their mastery. 
Yet, you've chosen to carry on to start the thesis-based program and found a fantastic supervisor that matches well to your preferences. Yes, now you can actually start conducting research and analyzing collected data. Students usually start by first building their foundational knowledge through literature review. The information gained at this stage often serves as the introduction section for the thesis, but I will go more into thesis structure in a little bit. Therefore, ensuring you are annotating your reference material, scientific papers, textbooks, etc. to go back to at a later date is paramount to the thesis process. Tools like Microsoft EndNote and Mendeley are great at keeping citations. Not only is it important to organize your reference library, but also research findings too, because years of data collection might be more than you can scribble on one of those sticky post-it notepads. And I only say that because during my master's, I would often write sticky notes and leave them on my bench to be transcribed into a notebook at a later date, but this ended up with me having piles of sticky notes. Most students, at least in my field of life sciences, keep to the old school method of writing in actual notebooks. However, there are many digital notebooks like Microsoft OneNote and Benchling that can be accessed and shared online. For analyzing quantitative data, easy applications like Microsoft Excel and GraphPad Prism allow students to quickly visualize their data via different graphical representations, while more sophisticated methods use coding languages for greater customization, like using RSuite, Python, or Latex. Side note, it does seem like Microsoft has established itself as an essential player in the academic world, as if Bill Gates has microchipped all aspects of the scientific method. At this stage, you will likely come across what is deemed the Thesis Advisory Committee, or TAC for short. This is a group of two or three scientists, plus your supervisor, that, as mentioned by the Max Planck Institute for Solar System Research, quote, approves the project, reviews the progress of the student, and advises them on further studies and research. The TAC also approves the thesis as ready for submission. When it can be foreseen that a project will not be successfully finished, the TAC can recommend to discontinue the project. It is the weeks leading up to these committee meetings that bring students a lot of stress, which is odd because despite the fact that TACs are meant to evaluate the student's performance, its literal function is an advisory one, helping alleviate the project's major flaws and guide the student towards success. Through these meetings, the thesis grows and blossoms into the beautiful piece of writing it eventually becomes. We move on to what the majority of resources about the thesis discuss, writing the thesis. People outside of academia often forget that theses are typically hundreds of pages that try to convince the reader of generally one idea. There are entire businesses centered around helping you write a thesis, such as Scribber. There are even personalities like Dr. Inger Muburn who calls herself, quote, the thesis whisperer, just like the horse whisperer, but with more pages. Plenty of other resources dive into the structure of the thesis, but I found one blog post by students at Columbia University go into just enough detail and provide useful tips. To summarize, the thesis can be broken down into these sections. One title page, two abstract, three table of contents, four list of figures, five list of tables, six introduction, seven methods, eight results, nine discussion, 10 conclusions, 11 acknowledgements, 12 references, and finally, 13 appendices. Sheesh. Luckily, they're distinct and mostly self-explanatory. That's a lot of sections, yet each are extremely important to hammer home that great idea. And you might even notice particularly OG Metaphorogen's listeners who have been with me since at least episode 10 that these sections are quite similar to how a scientific publication is written. 
That's because it's exactly like how a scientific publication is written. In fact, a lot of thesis-based programs permit students not to write a full thesis, but instead append scientific papers they were able to publish during their program. Therefore, being scientifically literate and understanding the format of academic publications is one skill you should strive for before writing a thesis at all. Regarding tricks of the trade, a lot of resources state many different techniques on how one can write a substantial amount of text. Let me summarize for you two words what tens of articles, videos, businesses, and thesis whisperers have concluded. Start early. In other words, don't do what Dr. Eleanor Troja, an associate research scientist in astrophysics at the University of Maryland, said about her thesis writing. Quote, the actual writing took two months, the time I had before the final submission deadline. I guess I managed to write it because I had to, the alternative being to fail the PhD. I mean, this is common sense. But it obviously can't be that easy, right? I mean, even reflecting on this podcast script, I should have started this well in advance to meet my own prescribed deadline. Yet, here I am, writing well past midnight on a random Thursday in May. But seriously, start early. Create your templates, jot down the topics you want to discuss that lead to that clear story flow, and be as concise as possible. Sure, you can strive to reach the typical hundreds of pages, or in the case of the university I attend, reach the 100,000 word limit, but if you could make your point in half the amount of text, this actually strengthens the argument you're trying to make. Forget daily word goals. Personally, by starting early, I wholeheartedly believe you will find what makes you passionate about that subject you are studying, and it is this passion that will drive you to complete the thesis. You're close to the finish line now that you've written that kick-ass thesis and submitted it, which is a whole process on its own that is different depending on the institute. I won't go into that. I refuse. Are you suddenly bestowed the honor of doctor or master now? Not quite. The final test of a thesis is defending it, also generally known as an oral examination, which to me always sounds like a trip to the dentist. Interestingly, in the UK, Ireland, and Hong Kong, it's called a viva voce, which is Latin for by living voice. Whatever you call it, this, one could argue, perhaps through a thesis itself, is the greatest format we have to assess the expertise of an academic as not only does one need to write convincingly, but one also needs to verbally communicate the argument they are making as well, that this idea is worth someone's attention. Regarding tips, I will bring back Aristotle, the father of rhetoric, and suggest following the Aristotelian triptych. Described in an article by Inc.com, quote, tell him what you're going to tell him, tell him, and then tell him what you told him. These examinations typically take multiple hours as the student is asked to present their work to experts in the field, while sometimes also open to their colleagues and the interested public, followed by a Q&A period with the examiners where they review the entire work. And it is highly unlikely to perform every possible method that will test your idea. It is your responsibility as an expert in your field to argue why your methods are justified and the overall significance of your grand idea. These examinations usually conclude with the following four outcomes, which is summarized by processes employed at my university, Trinity College Dublin. One, the degree should be awarded. Two, the degree should be awarded subject to minor corrections made to the thesis. Three, the thesis should be referred back for revision. And four, the thesis should be failed. The fourth outcome rarely happens, and it's important to note that if it does, it could be devastating for the student. 
Support via their peers, supervisor, and their close social circle should follow to encourage positivity during such a time. I suppose that the status of holding a doctorate in circumstances which bias has been reduced as much as possible requires either a medical expert that can provide help to someone or an academic expert that can teach someone to help themselves. Branching off that is one final aspect of the thesis I vehemently want to cover, and that's the mental health of you, the thesis undertaker. To no surprise, the negative trend one would unfortunately expect from those at the graduate level has been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. One 2020 study conducted by Science Magazine of 4,000 U.S.-based STEM PhD students found that, quote, 40% reported symptoms consistent with generalized anxiety disorder and 37% with major depressive disorder, jumps of 13 and 19 percentage points, respectively, compared with 2019. But even before the pandemic, students pursuing an advanced degree were highly susceptible to mental health decline. One study discussed in a 2019 scientific American article, quote, concluded that graduate students are over three times more likely than the average American to experience mental health disorders and depression. The study, which surveyed over 500 economic students from eight elite universities, also concluded that one in 10 students experienced suicidal thoughts over a two-week period, a result consistent with other recent reports. There are many different reasons why this is the case. Mentioned in the articles were the stigma behind expressing personal mental health concerns, low salaries or stipends, and lack of career support after graduation. And this is not accounting for other scenarios like raising a family, immigration issues for international students, or pre-existing health conditions that are not accommodated for. The solution to this problem still escapes myself and academic institutions. On one hand, we should be encouraging and outright supporting all those who desire to enter a thesis-based graduate program, while on the other hand, these programs are inherently difficult. How can we strengthen the programs that are already in place? There are some missions that aim to at least determine solutions. Published in a 2019 Nature News article, quote, the Council of Graduate Schools, or CGS, 22-month initiative focuses on the mental health of young adults. The initiative will explore current schemes and programs centered on student wellness at CGS member universities in the United States and Canada and provide recommendations for future approaches to promote mental and emotional well-being in students. By reflecting on what institutes are currently doing or not doing will allow the academic community to identify the sources of mental health decline and aid students to complete the best thesis they possibly can. It's a win-win. I bring us now to the end of this segment. This particular episode is extremely important to me as I reflect on what drove me down this pursuit of knowledge and undertake a thesis-based PhD abroad. Perhaps the answer lies in origins, and yes, I am aware I always come back to my desire to understand how things came to be, whether that be English metaphors or my own life. My PhD project is based on the idea that the human gut microbiome, or the microorganisms and genetic material found in our gut, impact patients suffering from disease. But who put forth the idea of the microbiome? Nobel laureate Joshua Letterberg did in 2001. But who put forth the idea that microorganisms cause disease? This is attributed to work done all the way back in the 19th century by Robert Koch and Louis Pasteur. But who put forth the idea that microorganisms even exist? The earliest microscopy experiments done by Antony van Leeuwenhoek discovered what he first termed animacules in the 17th century. And we can keep going farther and farther into the past on what writer Peter Hall of New Scientist called your, quote, 
academic family tree. Perhaps these ideas were not put forth via graduate theses. Yet, through this reflection, my gratitude for the brilliant minds that have advanced my field to the point it is at today, and how the academic community has come together to standardize a way for young professionals to contribute outstanding ideas, played a significant role in my decision. It is our duty as participants in the academic space and those generally interested in rational discussion to advance the thesis process itself to better support students attempting a project that is seemingly impossible, which will further advance all fields of research. Before we get to the next segment, do you love listening to podcasts? If you're like myself, you may have contemplated even starting a podcast yourself. Let me tell you, as one of the many ways one can creatively express themselves, starting this podcast was one of the best decisions I have ever made. For one thing, it sort of gives you an excuse to learn about things you actually are interested in and understand it by speaking to an audience about it. For another, it has given me the opportunity to meet other podcasters and other science communicators who inspire me in their own creative endeavors. The problem in starting something new is that it may be difficult to know where to start. That's where Buzzsprout comes in. Buzzsprout is a seamless service that helps one launch a professional podcast with over 100,000 people supported on their platform. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Additionally, you get a sweet-looking podcast website, detailed analytics to support the growth of your show, by far the greatest feature, methods of promoting and marketing your show, the list goes on. And of course, the Buzzsprout community of experts and podcast hosts offers great tips via online forums, YouTube videos, and even quick podcast episodes themselves. To start your own podcast and get a $20 Amazon gift card you can use towards simple podcast equipment you may need, Click the affiliate link in the episode's description. This lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you to their service and will help support Metaforigens in money towards creating more butterfly merch. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. And now, back to the episode. For today's episode, I'll be interviewing someone who has recently went through the entire thesis process and made it out alive and well on the other side. Someone whose experience, different from mine or yours, will nonetheless be indispensable for our own academic journeys. She started her academic journey back in 2012, doing a bachelor's in biomedical sciences at Maynooth University. She then made the commute to Trinity College Dublin to do a master's in immunology and continuing in the same lab to complete a PhD in microbiology. A lover of podcasts, books, and the great outdoors, her post-PhD life involves being a research assistant at Trinity and is now consumed by being a plant parent to the Monstera delicosia and Dracaena trifasciata species. Please welcome the fantastically bright Amy O'Callaghan. Thank you, Amy, for, for coming on my podcast today. 
Uh, again, this is a special episode specifically on one topic, and one academic topic, which is the thesis. And so I'm glad you uh, took the time to, to come on to the episode. And why I specifically asked you to come is because you recently defended your thesis uh, just last month. You've been through the gauntlet of the entire thesis process. We'll actually might still be doing revisions, but we'll we'll talk about the process that you went through. Uh, and kind of the aftermath of what happens after defense. So that that's something new to me and uh, new to the listeners of the Metaphorogens podcast. I'll just introduce you briefly because I already introduced you, but currently you are a research assistant in Dr. Sinead Kaur's lab, which is the lab I recently just joined. And what we do is kind of a, <laughs> yeah, what we do is like a coastal immunity sort of work, specifically focusing on microbiome research. And that's at the Department of Microbiology at Trinity College, Dublin. Again, you recently defended your PhD thesis last month, which I was uh, lucky enough to attend, and you did a fantastic job. And in terms of just some science communication that I noticed on your online resume that I was able to find, you were also a postgraduate representative at the School of Genetics and Microbiology, which is um, what I'm a part of as well. And also your a freelance medical writer for a company called Metavisor, which uh, we might be able to get into. And lastly, I was also able to find that you won the uh, Best Presentation Award for the DAPI meeting, which is a Dublin Academy of Pathogenomics and Infection Biology. Uh, and this was in 2019 for Best Oral Presentation. And you were also interviewed by them and was able to kind of deliver an explanation of your research to uh, you know, a, a child maybe who is who's ten or or younger. So I thought that was really cool. But maybe you can just give a brief overview of yourself. Anything that I missed? Um, maybe your undergrad work, your master's work, uh, and any previous extracurriculars that uh, you might deem relevant to your academic career. It's great to get a nice uh, introduction there. Kind of forget that you've done all these things. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> I suppose where it all began was. My parents are actually very science orientated. So my mom is a nurse, you know, helping other people and all about the human body and how it works. So that's where my curiosity really kicked off in science, I suppose. And my dad is an aeronautical engineer for the Irish. Well, he was for the Irish Air Corps, so like Irish Army. There was lots of, you know, new scientist magazines hanging around my household when I was growing up, which was always very nice. I suppose that's where the idea or like the interest, initial interest in science came about. And as I got older, I was naturally feeding that curiosity just myself with books and, you know, YouTube videos, etc. Because uh, social media wasn't really a thing back then. <laughs> I'm not that old. But yeah, so my undergraduate degree was um, in a lovely little town called Maynooth in Ireland, just outside of County Dublin. I did a four year undergraduate degree in biomedical science. So that was great. I really, you know, immersed myself into all sorts, all different aspects of science and really zoned in on immunology was kind of my go to module because we could pick out modules ourselves, you know, as the years went on. My calling, as they say. <laughs> so, yeah, after that, then I kind of wanted to branch a bit further from my hometown. So my hometown was where my undergraduate degree was. So my commute was five minute walk down the road. I thought to myself, OK, I need to up my commute to a 50 minute train journey into Dublin City. So I applied to do a master's in immunology in Trinity College, Dublin. 
it was like the big day out in the city, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> that was really a great year of intense immunology work. And I did a three month research project there in a lab, so a wet lab environment. And I really enjoyed working at the bench, you know, coming up with your experiments. And from my master's then, I asked my supervisor, Sinead, at the time, could I stay on? Because I really was interested in the work that was being carried out in that lab. So that was all to do with the gut microbiome, post-pathogen interactions, all that kind of stuff. Thankfully, she took me under her wing and I stayed on for three more years. That's really my, my academic timeline. And I only submitted my thesis back in December of 2020. Because now you've transitioned into a research assistant position. So... Uh, how did that change from, you know, being a PhD student to now this new position of a, a research assistant? With the life as a PhD student, which Kevin, you'll now experience as you just, you're starting out, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> best of luck. I, I know you're <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But as a student, I suppose your mindset is, you know, okay, I've been given this topic that I have to really dive into and figure out the literature and figure out the, the scope of the entire project, which is very hard to do, especially when you don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> That's science all the true, time, true. Isn't it? just don't know what's happening. True. <laughs> very true, true. The mindset back then was, you know, you just take the days as they come and you take the science as it comes and you just don't expect too much from it. Whereas as a research assistant, I probably have my head screwed on a bit more where I'm I'm more knowledgeable of how to approach certain things now or what's expected definitely a different mindset and I I, I see the two postdocs that I've worked alongside the past while and I call them the wise elves because they just they know so much and the minute you ask a question they you know they know so I feel like I'm definitely transitioning into that stage of I'm a bit more confident in what I'm doing yet I don't have that pressure of handing in a thesis at the end of three or four years, <laughs> you know, so right. that's, that's really where I'm at now. And um, the student aspect to a PhD student, yet you're still a, an adult and you're working and you're earning and you're paying bills. And, you know, it's, it's very different from like an undergraduate student. Shout out to Namrata and, and Elaine. They're, they're, they're great researchers. And I didn't know you called them wise owls. Now I'm going to start calling them that. <laughs> Maybe you can comment on on the the timing for these these research projects you were a part of. So you said you were in a one year master's and your PhD was a three years or three and a half year PhD. This is different from uh, at least from Canada, um, where I'm from, where I, my master's took two and a half years. Normally, a PhD in, in Canada is around five years, six years even. Uh, and in the U.S., it's you know. It could be indefinite if you're if you're not careful. So uh, maybe you can comment on the, yeah the, the shortness of, of these uh, of these programs and you know if that uh, was beneficial to you or maybe disadvantageous. What do you think? That's a good question because that is the Irish system. At, like the Irish mm -hmm. education system has this set for I don't know how long, but I knew that was expected. You know, when I was applying for masters at the time, like, OK, it's going to be one year. Sign up for a master's that in a topic that you're good at, that you're interested in and that you're doing well in. So that's why you immerse yourself in this in-depth course for one year. And the masters for like science students, you have a certain amount of modules that you need to cover. 
and then you um, do a research project. So it could be, it's usually three months. And then at the end of your three months, your thesis is based on that lab work. There's no set time as well. Like I do know of some masters that would continue on into the summertime. So let's say you do the modules the first term, which is usually September to Christmas. And then you have some more modules after Christmas until February or March. And then you do your research lab project from March onwards. And you have to hand in your thesis in August, let's say. That's usually a due date. You have three to four months to get everything finished. That's including writing your thesis. It's a short uh, (laughs) way of, you know, dipping your toe into the topic. But it was definitely, I really benefited from it because I knew, okay, this is what I love. I'm going to do immunology. Mm -hmm. And then through that, I met Sinead and I fell in love with the gut microbiome and her research topic. And I was like, right, this is what I want to do. So there would be disadvantages to it. And that is it enough time for some people? Probably not. Yeah, you definitely there's pros and cons to the shortness of it. Whereas for yourself, you probably had much more time to do a lot more research and more experiments. I got some basic experiments under my belt and that was it. But I knew, okay, I want to pursue this. I want to see what else is in this field. So there are pros and cons, but I guess the program is kind of seeing if you want to continue into a more advanced degree, like a PhD, for example. Exactly. And if it's not Mm -hmm. for you, I I know of a few friends who went back and did a second master's. It's another nine months of your life, but we have this time to kind of play around with because you're so young and deciding what you want to do anyway. So I think it's been great for those friends who have gone back to do a second master's and then they've truly realized, okay, this is for me. This is what I want to do. And you can at least collect, you know, different uh, master's degrees or maybe even another undergrad just to kind of taste different fields and then uh, enter the workforce through that. So now we're going to go into a bit more specific into uh, the dreaded thesis. Although after researching it, I, I don't think it's that dreaded anymore. I, I think that there are some some good and bad things. And I think the thesis gets a bad rap, <laughs> especially <laughs> from graduate students uh, such as myself and peers and previous graduate students like yourself. Before you started your PhD, what was your impression of the thesis? Mm. And did this change as you became more you know, engrossed in, in the years of your project? When you first start your PhD, you don't really think too much about the thesis. It's, it's a very funny, um, your thought process is, oh, wow, I'm after getting accepted into this, this new area of research and I'm going to work in this for three to four years and I'm going to be a scientist. You know, that's kind of my initial thought anyway. <laughs> then when I really had to think about it, like, yes, you're doing three to four years of solid work to produce this book at the end of it basically that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. so my first thought was okay this thesis is going to mark the end of my time here as a PhD student that would be me coming to the end but I don't need to think about that now I need to do x y and z before I get to that stage then I suppose as the years went on year one I've hit that milestone okay should really think about what I'm actually looking at here year two oh you know I'm, I'm nearly finishing my PhD I have a year left I really should put a plan together even or talk to my supervisor about what a thesis is because you know you're going (laughs) you don't really you're not really told that when you first start and yes you might have thesis lying around from previous lab members but you might not really look at it for Trinity Kevin you know yourself uh, the microbiology department in Trinity offer a very good way of 
keeping up with every postgrad student or PhD student. So a committee is assigned to every student. And the committee is made up of two professors or PIs that work in the department. They keep on top of you. So they meet with you every six months. So there are two external people that are not your supervisor and they offer advice and guidance and they question you. So it's like a mini viva or a mini thesis defense every six months, which is nerve wracking, but it's also the best thing that could ever have happened, especially for me, because it kept me, it kept reminding me that yes, your thesis is due soon. As the years <laughs> went on, like, okay, Amy, you have one year left. Can you please bring forward a thesis plan? It's really my last year when I realized I need to really settle down here and think about a thesis plan. So it was through my committee members, then through the encouragement and push, I suppose, from my supervisor, Sinead, that I had to actually sit down and think about writing a thesis. <laughs> As you, you can imagine, and you also saw, when I think about it, though, fully, when I really thought about my thesis was when I was actually writing my thesis. I'm sure that only happens in the last few months. Well, it depends. For me, it happened over a time frame of almost nine months because uh, in my final year, it was 2020, and I was supposed to submit my thesis in September 2020. So I was like, great, I have all this time to do loads of lab work. I'm going to get all this done. And then March came around. <laughs> and we, you know, <laughs> what happened there? global pandemic came around and um we were all told to go home for two weeks so at the time sure it was kind of like almost a holiday because we'll just put everything aside and we'll leave lab work and we'll come back in two weeks time two weeks turned into three months of staying at home for uh, students in a wet lab environment you need to be physically present to get your lab work done in order to produce results you know, contribute towards your thesis. That wasn't happening for me. So I sat down for those three months and I started writing my thesis because I had nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of happened a bit backwards for me. I wrote most of my general introduction, which is just introducing your PhD project in the field that it's currently in and, you know, comparing it to other literature out there. So I probably spent too much time at it, but my supervisor Sinead was very on top of getting back to me with corrections and then it was finished it was one part of my book that was finished in those three months you know the later half of that year then I went back to the lab and I was immersed straight back into lab work so I kind of stopped writing for a period of time to get more lab work finished mm -hmm. so I was in between writing and lab work yeah some people might be like whoa you're crazy <laughs> how did you do both at the same time <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that my submission date was December, I came out of the lab halfway through the month of November and just sat down and wrote. Yeah, very different. Nice. I feel like some people would rather just finish everything and then dedicate three to four months to just writing. Plans never go to plan, especially in the <laughs> <laughs> I guess even if the pandemic didn't happen... You know, it's it's just if your if your experiments are working or if normally they're not working, <laughs> uh, wow. that kind of delays the the writing process in, in that way. I, I like how you mentioned the the thesis advisory committee. That's that's something that uh, a lot of people, at least in the public, don't know about. They they kind of or people that are thinking about doing graduate school, they don't know that they're they're not really ever alone developing a thesis. That that giant book that ends up 
uh, your creation at the end of your program. Um, there, there's always experts who are trying to guiding you in, in that regard. And you also mentioned how the pandemic affected you, which uh, definitely was certainly shitty. <laughs> That's the only word I can think of at this moment. Here's a, an, Irish, an Irish sentence or saying, it threw, the, it threw a spanner in the works. That's what COVID did. <laughs> Through a span? What's a spanner? It's a tool in oh. a shed, like a, a handyman tool, a spanner. Just a general tool. <laughs> but us Irish say these things, Kevin, and do they make sense? I don't know. Pandemic really, like you said, threw a spanner into the works. You're, you're fully um, on Kevin. That's great. <laughs> It's kind of good in a way that it, it gave you that, that little break to write and, and really establish at least the, the beginning part of it, which is the intro. And you mentioned also as well, a couple of times, actually, Sinead, who is our, well, my supervisor and now your your boss, I guess. If I don't know if it changes now, but I guess that's the case. So a lot of the thesis process, or at least the beginning part of the thesis finding that thesis supervisor that's also something that i think is one of the most important things about the thesis process is, is finding an expert that can like you said take you under their wing and teach you how to do science properly and effectively so i'm curious at how you went about looking for supervisors but what made you decide to stay with dr sinead core yeah it's definitely a very important or decision is finding the right supervisor to guide you and lead you and help you finish and produce a thesis. When I was saying earlier about doing the master's in immunology at Trinity, we actually were given a, an option of inviting a supervisor to take on a master's student for three months. So at the time, we were given a list of different research labs uh, in Dublin. So research labs associated with Trinity or that were in Trinity and also some collaborators with the professors who actually designed the course, but they were abroad. So there was, a, I remember there was a project in China that a lot of people were kind of jumping on at the time. But I actually was like, hmm, there's no topics here on the gut microbiome. I think I'm going to do a bit of research here and see, is there a supervisor in Trinity that works on the gut microbiome? And I came across Sinead's page straight away. So I reached out to her, I sent her an email and I was like, told her who I was and what I was currently doing and was she interested in taking on a student for three months and she was like yes absolutely come over for an interview for a chat coming out of undergrad never had done an interview in my life like a formal interview <laughs> went over to the microbiology department on campus met with Sinead and she welcomed me into the office and we sat down and it was like I knew her for years she was very relaxed very open mm. chatting away with me about the, the masters and my undergrad and we clicked almost straight away like we got on very well I can see myself working with her that was my instant kind of okay I know she is the person for me this is my good this is a good going to be a good supervisor and she has been and is still a great boss <laughs> yeah I don't know how you phrase that she still is my boss slash supervisor <laughs> yeah pardon the pun now but it was like a gut instinct that I knew we'd get on mm. together she uh, very happily took me under my wing and I really appreciated that she did because then I realized wow this area of research is what I want to be in so that's where I asked could I stay on then to do my PhD if there's any listeners out there that are, you know, looking to do a PhD, like it's so important to reach out, maybe some advice I could give that I actually did as well at the time was reach out to 
current lab members that were in Sinead's lab, for example, drop them an, a message on email if you can find their email address or on Facebook or some sort of a social media platform. Like, obviously, they're going to tell you the good things. <laughs> There's always good things. But I asked about, you know, Sinead as a person, but also about the PhD and how they found, mm. you know, that particular topic. You know, was there enough to be doing to make a thesis or to get you through three to four years of a PhD? That's the only kind of advice I could give. And I was lucky, I suppose, I found someone who I connected with. Uh, just thinking back on my own interview with her when I was looking for PhDs, really easy to talk to. It seemed like she was very passionate about her work. That impression of, you know, is she somebody that I would go talk to when I'm having trouble and, you know, not afraid to talk to when I'm having trouble? I think that's that's an important thing for graduate students to find in a supervisor. Um, that openness and communication is there. Uh, you also mentioned that you reached out to current lab members at the time. It was her that actually set up the meeting with, with you guys when I was starting and probably with the, the other new PhD student as well who started with me. Um, she set up the discussion with you and I was able to ask you th those exact same questions that you asked. Uh, I even asked about, you know, if there are anything bad moments you've had with, with the supervisor, the supervision that she's done. And luckily there weren't any or not that I can even recall. It was it was definitely a green light to be like, OK, this is definitely a program that I would like to I would like to do. Just to say as well, like, yeah, very passionate about her, you know, her research and still is. Kevin, you see that now to this day. There's excitement, mm -hmm. you know, straight away when she talks about a new project that might be up and coming and it's yeah it's great to see and that that really drives home that this is why I love science as well because <laughs> it's it's an exciting area and there's always something happening and mm -hmm. and she's not afraid to share it either and she, she mm -hmm. definitely communicates through you know different mediums not just email through uh you know, we have a whatsapp group we have um we follow each other on social media even which is nice so um, you can really see it in in all sorts of avenues you know where this uh, excitement uh, comes from and and she definitely shows that and especially in her field of research in our line of work at least technical skills are very important this is something that you do or you develop through um, experiments in in the lab but what's less talked about is those soft skills and I think graduate programs are starting to focus on that um, I haven't looked into Trinity in, in terms of you know professional development workshops but in the university that I was a part of uh, in my master's they were starting to ramp up helping graduate students develop these sorts of soft skills that workforces in industry, government, academia are, are, are looking for now. Uh, one of these is like organization and developing a thesis or writing a thesis and finishing a thesis. You need a lot of organization because of the vast amount of information out there in, in, in our field, specifically because it's it's relatively new field and there's a lot of publications out there now. So I'm wondering how you kept track of all that knowledge you gained as you developed your literature review and, and, and wrote the thesis. How did you collect data and how um, did you analyze, you know, sort of trends that you got in the results you obtained? I'm, I'm going to start off with that because I know myself, I'm a very organized person. So, you know, entering into this PhD life, I'm all about lists, lists, <laughs> lists. So Sunday night fear. I don't know, is this a common thing amongst everybody that is listening or just in the world? 
day before work starts back after you've had a lovely weekend of relaxing and zoning out from work. Sunday Night Fear usually kicks in at around 8pm for me. <laughs> so that's <laughs> a great time to take out my diary and I always would sit down, even now, as well as during my PhD, and I would always sit down and write out my weekly to-do list or, you know, what would I like to do this week or what needs to be done more so. For me, that really helped me get through my weeks. <laughs> when you're counting PhDs and weeks, see it physically written in front of you or, you know, maybe on a laptop because everything's kind of moving online these days. Um, but I kind of liked having the list written out in pen and then I'm ticking things off as I go. And of course, things change all the time. Like you're not going to stick to what you've written for yourself. You might have to prioritize or something unexpected comes up, etc. But that really helped me focus and ensure that, okay, you know, I have a lab meeting on Friday. I'd like to get A, B and C done before Friday. But even if I got A and B done, I'd be very happy with myself. So highly recommend lists. <laughs> um, but then I suppose that kind of, kickstart then getting lab work done because obviously you have to be doing your experiments um, to actually generate data all going well that they work because the majority of the time they don't work or you're seeing trends that aren't ideal <laughs> but that's, that's academia that's science for you once you've generated the data then what's the ne what's next I suppose so it's funny I actually used to carry around a USB stick with me absolutely everywhere that I went in the department because you never know when you're going to need a USB stick to you know oh, after taking this reading and it's uploaded as an excel file I need to bring this home and analyze it on my laptop you text around to see if anyone has a spare USB but nobody wants to give it to you because you're going to lose it sure <laughs> so, USB stick number two, tip number two. Thankfully now you can just get yourself a, big, a USB that has unlimited storage. So that's ideal for, you know, PhD to like make sure you have all your data in one area, I suppose, or one part. But uh, GraphPad then has this amazing software that people were kind of passing around back, back when. As you know, Kevin, and hopefully a lot of other people know too, you just plug in your you know, after you've done your analysis, you just plug in your values and GraphPad does up beautiful graphs for you and does statistical analysis as well based on what stats that you have to do. They were kind of the three things that I could really <laughs> think that helped me throughout my PhD and then also coming to the end where I was writing my thesis. I'd look back over my USB stick and I'd be able to find a raw mm. file that I had to go over or GraphPad best things in existence <laughs> the usb thing is is really important um or just some sort of storage space for for your data because i know it, it definitely takes up a lot of space on your computer and you you probably just want it uh, separate anyway in case your i don't know your computer were to unfortunately something were to happen to it and then you would lose everything so that's something you don't want and graphpad specifically is, is a great great application my only problem with it is that you have to pay for it every year. If they made some sort of free version of it, maybe with not as many features, but um, just getting the basic data visualization and simple statistical analysis would be nice just to make it more accessible, I guess. GraphPad, if you're listening, make it free. That's, <laughs> make it work that's what grad us. students want. <laughs> Most of us don't want to learn to code. <laughs> 
or, or most of us don't want to use Excel. I know Excel is great, but yeah, wow. <laughs> Excel can be very powerful. It's just um, the interface is, is not as nice as graphpad or other sorts of things is there any sort of other soft skills that you can think of you might find useful in your research uh, assistant position or in you know future careers that you're looking into um after finishing a phd yeah organization would be one of the main ones let's say during your phd you really it's really a character building time as well so you're picking up these soft skills as the years go on and you're realizing oh wow I, I actually do do this and you don't you don't realize you're doing it on a daily basis you know but yeah communication is actually one of the things that would be a massive soft skill that you're you're doing pretty much let's say every week maybe every two weeks just depending on uh, for example lab meetings that uh, your supervisor would hopefully be holding gives you an opportunity to present your data let's say to an audience, even though the audience might be two other lab members and your supervisor, you have to do a, a presentation, prep your presentation, make sure it looks good, then actually present your data and know how to present. And but again, that comes with time. That's it's all about practice here. Like, you know, practice makes perfect. That was definitely something I gained over the years. And well, you mentioned at the very beginning that I one best oral presenter at a conference so DAPI is a conference that's hosted between Trinity uh, College Dublin and University College Dublin so it's two universities in Dublin city the microbiology students of Trinity went to UCD that particular year and we were kind of you know we walked into this beautiful university not our, our normal Trinity grounds and you know I put myself forward to do a presentation and at the end of it I actually won the best oral presenter so I was really delighted with myself because woo, <laughs> that you know that was probably my halfway mark I was definitely I still had a good bit to go in the the PhD so that was a great boost of confidence for me because you don't I, as I said you don't realize you're building on these skills and then all of a sudden you're acknowledged for it or you're noticed and yeah that was definitely something that even now I bring forward and will in the future wherever I end up but um communication for sure was another skill I developed uh, just based on you know working in a, in a new lab me and the new PhD student uh, Sarah you, we were shadowed by you and the other two postdocs Nimrata and in a lane and uh, sorts of experiments and uh, I would personally say that you guys are really good at communicating what you're doing in the experiments and, and the, the background science behind why we're doing certain things so certainly that must have been developed through your your PhD work and uh, your previous academic. Uh, you, I remember showing you guys maybe the first few weeks of you guys starting and you know of course you're uh, two new people and you're excited about the science and I definitely was questioned about a lot of specific things and then you know of course that's another thing you really have to think about what you're doing and know your stuff basically but I do remember saying to you guys a few times like oh you'll have to google that because <laughs> I don't know if my answer is correct but <laughs> so yeah google is your best friend as well. I mean there's just so many different aspects of an experiment that you know, sometimes you, you, you probably knew at one point and then you just do it so often you just kind of forget it now. Uh, when people talk about the thesis, 
a lot of it is in regards to writing a thesis, and you kind of mentioned this um, in, in your introduction. Now that you've finished, I'm curious as to uh, how you went about writing your thesis in terms of your writing process. You know, did you um, have any daily word goals? Um, did you ever have to, you know, force yourself to write? And how did you keep that motivation to to write on days you didn't want to? Yeah, it's definitely motivation. You'd have to get it tattooed somewhere on yourself so that you keep motivation levels high. I remember starting the very first day I sat down to start the thesis and I just wrote like my title on the first page and I was like, okay, right. <laughs> it was just kind of... That's a start. It, that's a start, right? And kind of twiddling my thumbs for a while and what do I do? So I realized, okay, you know, just throw a few subheadings down and a few kind of main points that I've been working on the past few years I suppose so that's how it kind of you shape it that way that you just base it on the literature that you've been reading over the years as well and pick out what's most important but also what interests you because the general introduction you can kind of play around with that and throw in a few things that you know genuinely just interest you too of course keeping within the topic I had a good routine coming up towards the end you guys remember I spoke about having three months sitting at home because of the pandemic so that was very easy and I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself so I took my time with that but then coming up to December from about November onwards I really got into a routine of okay at the desk for 9am do a bit of writing go for a walk at 11 come back have your lunch at one go back to writing Hmm. (laughs) have your dinner or go for a walk at around five go back to writing have your dinner at seven, go back to writing, finish writing at 9pm, switch off. So like I definitely got into a very good rhythm of, you know, write, 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 (laughs) keep writing. But also you're sitting at a desk for how many hours every day you need to kind of wear yourself out physically. You know, every other person's so used to going to work and going out for lunch and, you know, running around the place and especially in a lab because you're moving all the time. So Sitting down was definitely very different because, especially for wet lab, uh, PhD students, you're always work, you're somewhere, you know, you're not really at a desk unless you're analysing results, walking around, using equipment, doing your lab work, etc. So I found that strange having to sit for a long period of time because I'm just, I was never used to it. On the other hand, uh, my brother, my older brother, um, he did his PhD in Trinity as well in uh, physics. But his lab was three computer screens. You know, his three and a half years of his PhD was sitting at a computer screen, three computer screens. And I just always found it very strange that it was my time now to sit down for a few weeks and finish writing my thesis. And it was very, I felt very restless almost, you know. Kudos to those people that can sit at screens (laughs) all the time. I would definitely recommend having a nice routine for yourself. Whatever works for you, you know, everyone's different. Coming towards the end was, you know, having to submit the thesis was another part of that process. And it's very different or was very different for me. So because of COVID restrictions, so usually in Trinity, you print off a soft bound copy of your thesis that you have written. You drop it into academic registry and you, you, they have to see you sign the, the second page where, you know, your signature has to go. And then they say, OK, Amy has submitted her 
thesis. This is on the record. And usually we would have made a big deal out of it. Pre-COVID time, we'd, you know, we get balloons in the in the reading room in our office space for that person. We get a bottle of Prosecco, leave it on the bench. We get yeah. like a tiara or a crown and we'd all go over to academic registry with that person and, you know, we're clapping and for me, it was very different. It was quite anticlimactic, <laughs> where yeah, I was no. sitting at my desk, typing, and then it was, okay, you know, I got the go-ahead from my supervisor, Sinead. She was very happy with the layout, how it looked, and so was I. And it was uploaded as a PDF file, and that was it. I think at the time, I was living at home with my mom, and <laughs> nobody was at home, so I just kind of sat on the couch. I was like, well done, Amy. Well done to you. And uh, <laughs> had some tea, watched some Netflix, and then that afternoon, my supervisor Sinead and two, two or three of the lab members, we had a socially distant prosecco, which was absolutely wonderful. And I really appreciated that because it really marked the end. Then for me, you know, that was like, okay, you can relax now. You have submitted your thesis, so that was great, and I really appreciated that they made such an effort because, you know, it's scary times and people try as much as possible to stick to the guidelines and the regulations and rules, etc. But we, we kept it very safe and we had a lovely Prosecco. When I say I felt very relaxed and it marked the end of my thesis, I still had the thesis defence looming, but I did forget about it for a month. <laughs> which was <laughs> it's, it's kind of good that you have that. Uh, well, it, it there's that gap because the examiners need to read the thesis, but it's it's kind of good that you, you, you submit it and then there's that break period in between so that the student mm -hmm. can take it all in, like you said, um, kind of relax a bit. Unfortunately, during a pandemic, that is kind of the everyday life nowadays, but it is nice that um, Dr. Kaur, Sinead, and uh, the lab members were, were able to organize that, that small get-together. I did actually, just to say there, I took a month off and then I came back as a research assistant. So I did nothing for one month of my life. It was absolutely amazing <laughs> because I had gone, you know, straight from academia or undergrad into a master's into PhD. And yes, you take some holidays, but you're always thinking about science. So that one month really, it healed me. It was amazing. And yes, we had nothing really to do because Ireland was in a lockdown at the time, but it was amazing. <laughs> Like a, like a detox almost you just mentioned there the defense of a thesis which happened a month a month or so after submitting and this is probably also one of the major things people think about when um when talking about the thesis graduate students know already what a defense is but for the public and uh, people that are outside of academia defending a thesis is not something that they normally think about it's like defending an idea what does that even really mean in terms of our experience, like I've defended a master's and uh, you definitely defended your PhD thesis, which is an experience that we are fortunate or unfortunate to have experienced. Uh, I think in terms of us, we've at least had a fortunate uh, experience with it. But I'm curious at what your, your mindset was prior to the defense. Uh, were you, you know, stressed? Were you uh, super relaxed about it? How did you feel? The week before, it was the most stressful time of my life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry you're reliving through this. <laughs> no, no. This is good because I look back now and I'm like, it was all worth it. And I went back as a research assistant. So I was back into the lab and doing lab work. But for, you know, 
parts I was tidying up some experiments for my thesis slash um, well mostly for papers so that they could get published one particular paper anyway so you know I was busy I was busy in the lab and I was distracted and I, and I was dipping my toe into other projects that are currently ongoing in the labs then I was like oh wow my thesis defense is next Friday I really have to take a break here and just focus on my thesis because I haven't looked hmm. at it since December <laughs> That's what I did. I took a week away from the lab and I just immersed myself into the book. I actually have it here beside me because it's my, I'm sitting at my desk right now, but it's <laughs> it's staring at me. But, um, yeah, so I literally became best friends with that book for that week. I went home to my family home and I had my mom there kind of help me. And the day before the thesis, my thesis defense, my mom, funny story, bit of a sidetrack, my family home we have a study under the stairs I don't know is this typical in Canada homes or houses but under the stairs is usually where the toilet is sometimes there's a toilet <laughs> under the stairs, right <laughs> that's that's definitely not a Canadian or North American thing in Ireland a lot of the houses would have a small toilet under the stairs so it's like the downstairs toilet in our home or my mom's home there used to be a toilet there but she took it out when we first moved in she removed everything from the, that room and put in a study so ah. often when we have guests over Irish people anyway the first when you have to go to the bathroom the for, first door you're going to look at is the door under the stair because that's usually where a bathroom is <laughs> but in my mom's home it's it's a study so often you hear a gasp or a oh this isn't the toilet you know it's very funny when people realize okay mm -hmm. they took that toilet out it's now a study so that's where I was for that week. It's kind of like a Harry Potter vibe <laughs> under the Very stairs. Harry Potter. <laughs> I had that little room, which was great because you're you're kind of cut off from the rest of the house. And so I really had good mm. study uh, environment, which was great and very much so needed. The day before my thesis defense, my mom flung open the door and she was like, right, you're in here too long. We're going for a walk. You need a bit of fresh air. So I was like, okay, mom, <laughs> two more minutes. So she was great. She brought me for a walk to a forest that's quite close to my hometown, uh, Maynooth. It's called Dunedee Forest. It's lovely. And we went for a big walk and it was just so nice to be out in nature and in the fresh air and a bit of sunshine on your face. And I felt much more relaxed at that moment because I was like, Amy, your thesis defense is in less than 24 hours you know your stuff or you know what you know and you cannot squeeze in any more information just go with it and trust the process I was very grateful <laughs> for my mom it was a great distraction and then I came to that realization of this is it now you know you know your stuff just be confident in yourself and be proud of yourself that you've gotten yourself this far that night I actually slept quite well which is strange because hmm. of course it's going to be on your mind you know that morning, it was very weird. It was like a mixed emotions because my thesis defense was at 2 p.m. on a Friday, <laughs> which was right. a good thing and a bad thing. So all morning, I just kind of, you know, was a bit anxious, walking around the house, twiddling your thumbs. Ooh, will I read something? You give yourself a little bit of a pep talk and you're like, okay, you can do this. Just go in there, that confident person that you are and just be yourself and you know your stuff you know your project inside out literally as I was logging in to the zoom call so of course my thesis defense was on zoom so it was all virtual 
Blondie, I had Sinead there, was my first face that I could see. And I was like, okay, this is fine. It's just like presenting at a lab meeting. You know, you kind of have to convince yourself. Then I started seeing familiar names pop up, like yourself, other lab members, Namrata, Elaine, some family members joined, which was lovely, and some friends. And I really felt like, okay, this is my this is my opportunity now to just show them what I've been talking about for the past three and a half years. Right. <laughs> Especially family and friends, because they kind of know what you do, but not fully. And they don't fully understand the, you know, the hardship and the stress, everything that's associated with a PhD. I know fellow colleagues can. And it, it was a proud moment for me. It laid the foundation then for going into the actual exam part where it mm-hmm. was myself and my two examiners. So, yeah, it was a great experience. And I have to say my two examiners were very understanding of the fact that it was all online. They kept checking in with me during the conversation to make sure that I was okay, that if I wanted to take a little break at any stage. So it was probably very similar to if it was in person, just that I was in the comfort of my under the stairs office. (laughs) (laughs) It went on for three and a half hours. It was a very good Mm in-depth conversation. And towards the end, you could virtually see that we were all getting a bit tired and it was half five on a Friday and, you know, you just want to go home and party. (laughs) No, (laughs) have a glass of wine. (laughs) I I had a good feeling that it was going well. And usually in a thesis defense, I don't know, Kevin, did you experience this? But your master's for the PhD, they get you to leave the room for 10 minutes and then they call you back in with their decision. And I left the conversation for 10 minutes. So (laughs) I just clicked leave Zoom call and I ran out to the kitchen and my mom was there and my two brothers and they were like, well, well, and I was like, oh, they haven't decided yet. And we had a bit of a hug and I was a bit angsty and, you know, how's it going to go? They were already just celebrating the fact that I had come out of the room. I think I was just hiding under the stairs (laughs) all that time. (laughs) And of course, they were in the house trying to be as quiet as possible. So it was very funny. Um, And so I went back then to the Zoom call, clicked back into the link and they awarded me my doctorate. And of course, like a massive like uh, release of emotions. I had to mute myself on the screen and I had a bit of a sob. It was like a <sighs> and like a few tears. Aww. And like it was very funny though because it was just like, okay, Amy, mute yourself quickly so you don't make any weird noises. <laughs> <laughs> then I unmuted myself and I just, you know, thanked them and we had a bit of a chat and they were del- you know happy for me and I thanked them for being my you know my examiners and it was great. It was such a strange um <laughs> interaction though because it was all online you know yeah it it was brilliant and I think back now it's like oh it's so great to have that feeling and it's just crazy that a conversation lasting three and a half hours you know you're talking about three and a half years of your life in those three and a half hours you know yeah well done Amy (laughs) I have to keep reminding myself that that actually happened (laughs) that was a good a summary about all that happened because I only, me and the other lab members only saw um, obviously the presentation and uh, yeah. um, I guess just the the conversation we had after defense. 
Um, so it's nice to hear the whole story. And uh, there's a couple of things that you mentioned. First of all, the this study sounds like a <laughs> like a gold mine for for a quiet space. I think, but it must have been very small. And I feel like it's it must be a cramped space. An average size desk and a chair, and that's all you're fitting into it. So the desk is touching either end of the. Hilarious. <laughs> but you know, perfect for an office. I know you'd love to have more space, but this really just did the job because we didn't have a spare room, I suppose, in the house. So that was like the office. Yeah, it was brilliant, though. And your mother there as well, who is uh, supporting you throughout, I think is was really nice and the whole virtual aspect of your defense. And I mean, she would have been probably there if you defended in person in Trinity. She would probably be in the audience and then you can talk to her after your, your Viva section and the examination part of it. Um, so she would have always been there. Other than that, do you think it would be any different if you did it in person in terms of, you know, how you felt, in terms of how the conversation may have happened? Because I listened to you uh, towards the end of your examination period, you noticed that there was, you know, some fatigue in the faces of the examiners. And it's, you know, well known now that looking at a screen for a long time or virtual meetings uh, creates such a fatigue. I'm wondering if that would have been different if it was in person or how you felt during your defense would that have been any different like firstly to say you're sitting you're physically sitting in front of two people or you know another person so you instantly pick up a person's vibe I think so that's what I was really nervous about because I am a people's person I'm you know I'm social I I love meeting new people etc and that's definitely something that I would go by is first impressions or you know first vibes off a person so are they friendly are they warm are they xyz in an exam situation maybe i wouldn't have picked up on that in that setting because okay this is a thesis defense and it's serious and a massive part of your academic career and we want this to be professional but like i i definitely feel that having the screen in front of me was very different instead of having a person and okay maybe the vibe would have been a bit strict initially but you know you relax Mm. everybody relaxes into it as the conversation goes on and I thrive off that I really like having that kind of physical interaction or connection you know that kind of thing so that's something I I missed out on with the screen (laughs) for sure um I think I would have been a bit more nervous being in person because I was in the comfort of my mom's home I knew my family were on the other side of the door I had my slippers on my feet like I wasn't I was dressed up but I you know I tried to make it as comfortable <laughs> as possible for myself <laughs> right. it's like it's like that typical zoom interview where you know the person is dressed from the pants up or like the shirt up and that's all you can see yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't worry I, I did have like full suit kind of but, uh, <laughs> but it's that's what pants yeah yeah no because I was nervous then you might have to go to the bathroom and then if you stand up you're going to see that part you know (laughs) you'd have to crouch until you're out of view (laughs) yeah exactly and the commute from um, my family home into Trinity is a good hour so imagine that I would have had to dedicate time to making the commute into Dublin to be at Trinity College for 2 p.m so that actually that was a stress that was instantly just didn't have to think about that because my commute was to the study under the stairs that was another thing that I benefited from I think as well like you were saying about my family being like there if the thesis defense was in person it is very different and I 
have seen it over the years where previous PhD students that have gone through uh, the microbiology department at Trinity, they'd have some family members there at the presentation, but then they leave for those hours that you're in the room doing your actual thesis defense. And then it was always someone's job to text the parent to be like, okay, Kevin has returned from his, you know, <laughs> please come quick. <laughs> then your friends are there you know your colleagues are there there's some supervisors and professors in the department come down to celebrate with you and then usually you go for drinks with the department but sometimes your family I often saw that families didn't come so Mm. I actually really enjoyed the fact that I had my celebrations with my family first and then um, us as a lab we had some socially distant drinks the week after which was lovely so you know you mark it with I suppose my family who who've seen me grow as a scientist and then obviously then with you guys because you guys have also seen me grow (laughs) as a scientist and you guys are great support for me over those few weeks helping me prep for the presentation and giving me advice and your thoughts and input so there was good things that came from doing your thesis defense at home virtually but also I saw different sides of it too where It would have been different if it was in person. And one last thing that you mentioned, which I think was a major point of why I wanted to talk about the thesis in a whole 30, 40 minute segment before our our discussion. Uh, You mentioned that towards the end of your defense and or maybe just after your defense, the realization that, you know, this was three years of your entire life um, dedicated to this one, this one thing, this one project. And uh, a lot of people outside of academia don't understand what that really feels like um, and being acknowledged and succeeding in that regard, completing your goal in, in getting that, that doctor, that, that piece of paper that you worked so hard for. Maybe you can just comment on that, that, that sort of feeling that this whole project of, of three years kind of ended with this one piece of work and, you know, what that, what that means to you. It was definitely an overwhelming feeling. Um, especially when they when they told me you know you have been awarded your doctorate and when I have to take a moment to myself to release that inner energy <laughs> that I have had pent up over three and a half years you know yeah it was overwhelming and it was it was emotional because you have put blood sweat and tears into this work no no blood just that's the same <laughs> Nothing like that. not literally definitely tears <laughs> sometimes literally but not sometimes, yeah. yeah sometimes literally but yeah it was emotional that it just that was it you know it's it's now come to an end and it's marked three and a half years of my life as a young adult who I am today as I said earlier like PhD really builds your character and I really think that I've come out of that those three and a half years a different person than who I began as. So it was definitely like a, a realization of, you know, well done, Amy, you, you're, you're a resilient person, you're determined, you can overcome these obstacles that life is, is always going to throw at you because you did that for three and a half years without really realizing that you did it as well, you know, like it was a realization that yes I can overcome those stresses and I can overcome those um, obstacles and hopefully I will be able to approach those obstacles with a new mindset (laughs) going forward I don't know what they'll be but you know it could be anything and 
so yeah definitely it was an emotional experience um and it still hasn't really kicked in as well i think uh in ireland and probably everywhere around the world you are given a, f- a few weeks to maybe up to two or three months to do some corrections on your thesis i have minor corrections so it's just little things that i need to complete or do to actually then uh, submit my final hardbound copy of my thesis to trinity so the fact that i'm still kind of working away in this i feel like it will be a very different feeling once i submit the hardbound copy and then that's it you can really put that chapter to rest then you know that part of your life just really is is over you know which is wild (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i'm excited for you because sure you saw me like you started in march and i did my thesis defense in april so you've seen the you know how it all happens and at least that's something Mm -hmm. you can look forward to in a few years time which is very exciting oh i'm super excited for that (laughs) (laughs) but actually though i i am really excited for that yeah Uh, especially how you know supportive the community was and uh your experience obviously it it turned out you know quite nice and um, learning from you and the the great lab members and Sinead, I think it's going to be, you know, it's, I think it'll work out in the end. <laughs> Despite the science sometimes not working. <laughs> it's also a, ma- a massive feeling of accomplishment. That was the other thing I felt like, wow, I just did this thing and I wrote this book. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so. You, you talked a lot about in your, the process of writing your thesis and um, even preparing for the defense, this concept of kind of getting away a little bit, taking a break from it. Uh, walking was something you mentioned many times, um, just getting the fresh air and, and uh, collecting your thoughts and, you know, just, just putting that aside for a bit just to stay in the moment. That sort of segues into the topic of mental health and graduate students especially have difficulties in in the decline of their mental health throughout these programs, which is something that institutes can definitely no longer ignore. And uh, at least in the University of Ottawa, they they started to implement sort of policies that uh, graduate students could could use and uh, act as guidelines to um, stop the mental decline from actually ha- mental health decline from actually happening. I'm not sure about Trinity, but I'm sure Trinity would have similar policies in place. So this is a kind of a personal question. So you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. <laughs> um, but if you can think of one, could you describe the lowest point during this whole thesis process? You know, it's something that I, I, I have seen myself, you know, with not just with myself, but with other fellow uh, PhD students where, you know, they really have suffered. And it's it's sad to see because, you know, you're experiencing your own kind of mental turmoil. But, you know, you, you want to be there for another person or you want to try help them as much as possible. And yeah, it's definitely it's something that cannot be ignored. And I think it's becoming or there's more light being shed on this in 2021, which is great. So, yeah, the, I suppose the lowest point for me during the PhD and this is probably universal as well, like experiments not working and, you know, it really does kick you. It really does impact you because you start faulting, you start blaming yourself, first of all, because you're the person doing the work. So you're like, what's wrong with my technique or what's wrong with what I'm doing? Like, why isn't this working? This is terrible. Um, and then, you know, that kind of spark, those thoughts spiral out of control and you start kind of 
scientists and you're like you're you know you're useless you shouldn't be a scientist you know it can get to that stage and you know that is not that it's expected but it can it does happen in a lot of a lot of cases and I realized with myself like there were some days where I just didn't want to go to the lab and I'd ignore it I'd be in denial I'd like I know I don't have to go to work today I'll, I'll do that lab work tomorrow and I just kept pushing things off and that was definitely in the depths of the the PhD so as time went on and the project was coming together a bit more but I wasn't I wasn't getting anywhere with the story it was kind of stuck I was in a rut you know with the science especially I realized then like look the the only way I can overcome this is to talk to other people and of course every other PhD student that I opened up to were like hey like I'm experiencing something similar and you know let's go wallow <laughs> over a coffee and a pastry and you know it really I think to opening up to other people really made me realize that okay well first of all I'm not the only one and second of all there's help there like Kevin you know yourself the department is full of some amazing fantastic researchers that have suggestions and are they're there to help you and they want to help you because especially postdocs they know what it's like and they've been through that themselves and so they only want the best for you it was only after opening up to other people I was like okay I can do this this is okay from there then things got better and yeah I'm all for you know mental health and exercising (laughs) that's a whole different thing to go into but yeah really that really helped me as well and sure Kevin you know yourself we're both into the running so (laughs) that's another great stress reliever for sure yeah people don't really talk about the low points and it can vary it's always going to differ between uh, individuals but really for me it was just yeah like do I how do I keep this going how do I keep myself going like I just need something to work and then it's when you do have those small triumphs of an experiment going going well and they, they need to be celebrated and I always made sure I did that even if it was just you know buying yourself a a takeaway lunch or something you know something small mm. to mark that occasion because they're rare but when they happen they're great <laughs> so, right. but just to say as well um I was the postgraduate representative for I think it was two years in my PhD and it was something I really wanted to like work on was the mental health awareness within the departments. I used to you know update any um, posters that were put up around the the department um, in terms of like helplines or information websites out there that if PhD students didn't feel like opening up they could perhaps seek help or advice externally. Even just those kind of things where yeah, you might not feel able to talk to others and at least this was like an external thing or a private thing, you know, that they could go, they could work with. Um, And also coffee mornings was another thing that I tried to keep going, which I still do, you know me, Kevin. (laughs) I'm all for those coffee and croissants. (laughs) I tried to make it like more of a department thing and people might not Mm. show up at all, but it was the odd one or two every now and then that kept it going and it was it was great yeah we we made it work when we could it's great you mentioned uh, kind of just communicating about you know these these lows that you have with other people even if it's through anonymous telephone lines like you mentioned through your uh, postgraduate work i think that's important to know that again you're not alone and people have most likely experienced the feelings that you've had i know that like when i started here and maybe just a month 
a month after I started here, we started to have uh, these Friday sort of outings where a couple of us in, in the building kind of get together and maybe not talk about science, but, you know, talk about other things as well. And I think that's that's important to not just focus on the work that you do, but also the stuff that you do outside of work, um, because we're not defined by the projects that we, we do only. We, we have other lives, personal lives and other interests that nice to know that we're all human right like <laughs> i was just gonna say we we are we are only human we are not scientific robots <laughs> that's yeah. work away in a lab and it's yeah it's one paper pushers but those uh friday gatherings like yeah that's you know and i hope they stay there because it's great and things are strange at the moment in the world with covid etc but we're doing it at a, safely and we're making the most of what we can do and I got to know so much about Mila it's been great I can't wait to meet her <laughs> <laughs> Mila yeah my catch yeah no it's great that you mentioned those things and I think I know the answer to this other question already but we, we talked about your your lowest of of the thesis process the your lowest moments or moment so what would you say would be your highest moment of the thesis process best moments of the thesis process or my time as a PhD student was the, the amazing people that I met and the great friends that I've now made with, you know, a lot of people in the department who have, you know, are no longer there. I still keep in contact with some of the girls and guys that I, when I first started off, I was the baby and they were the, you know, the <laughs> old, the senior people, <laughs> as they say. Yeah. And sure now I've met like you guys and, that's the the thrill of academia as well as people come and go and you'll always you know those people that you click with their friendships hopefully for life and that you keep going in the with those friendships in the future and all you guys have been my high point <laughs> for sure and you might actually have a, a good answer to this through your postgraduate um, representative work mm. are there policies that you can think of that institutes can implement now to support graduate students that aren't currently implemented? Yeah, so I, I think, yeah, Trinity definitely have good um, policies at the moment, especially through the mental health services. You know, us as uh, students of Trinity, we do get emails off the mental health services throughout the months. You know, they might hold a coffee morning uh, for postgraduate students which I truly believe in. I think this is one of the best things that you can do because everybody feels comfortable when there's coffee or a tea or a cup of tea in your hand. Mm -hmm. And I know the hard part is just to talk or meet new people because through the mental health services, it's not just microbiology students, but you're getting postgraduate students from all the different schools in the college. So yeah, it's definitely, that's been great to see that Trinity have implemented that. I don't think I can answer the, is there anything that should be implemented? I think Trinity have done very well and I'm, I'm hoping other colleges as well because it's such a massive part of academic life now is the mental health of postgraduate students and I think an awareness has been out there and, and is out there that now the colleges have taken on okay we really need to keep an eye on this and you know keep this going yes yeah, support these postgraduate students so I can't add anything to it I think the college that we're in it's doing quite well at the moment and mm. I think maybe at a smaller scale you know schools and departments can kind of fall back on that and um, because sometimes postgrad there might not be a postgrad rep or there might not be someone who wants to organize these 
coffees at a smaller level, you know, so something like that maybe where, you know, a day trip could be organized every now and then, or uh, as we said, like uh, an activity or something that's not work related, you know, I think that's important and your, your personality and who you are as a person can shine through and not just the science side of you. It always goes back to organizing things that uh, kind of connect people together and talk about anything really not just science but uh, again their interests and hobbies that they're that they like to do and mm. uh, personalize themselves so they're not just again just research robots or something like that and just to say people always say they're busy but there's always time you know you can always set aside some time to to not think about science like yes it's a stressful time your phd is going to consume you <laughs> But remember, you are only human and you also need that. So like we're social creatures, so we, you know, you really need to feed that side as well. And hopefully you'd be thankful for it, really. Okay, so now we're, we're at the fun question, Amy. You've made it this far. Well done. Well done. In the segment before our discussion, uh, I talked about the academic family tree. So that's was how we can connect our, our favorite aspects of our research to work done in in the past and even really far in the past uh, now i'm wondering in, in your own academic family tree what researcher would you thank for the contributions to your field lovely question kevin <laughs> <laughs> definitely one that has kept me up at night <laughs> oh no <laughs> i'm only joking oh no <laughs> I mean, so many people, right? Yes, Kevin sent me the question before we had this chat and uh, I was saying it to the girls in the lab and it was very funny. Their response instantly was like, Amy, like, think about it as if you're, it's your science crush and you'd love to go on a date <laughs> with this person, right? <laughs> so this is how I'm thinking right now, Kevin. <laughs> But I'm going to kind of shift it a bit to, okay, this yeah. is this is a science crush. I'd love to bring them out for a date. <laughs> Definitely. And this is, a, I don't know how you're going to find this answer, but I just think, right, if I could bring somebody on a date uh, who's a scientist or was a scientist, you'd have to bring Charles Darwin. <laughs> Charles Darwin. Okay. And there's like just not just because he has an amazing beard or had an amazing beard <laughs> which takes all the probably time. still does <laughs> but uh i just think like what an amazing person to have the opportunity to bring out for a, a drink or a coffee or something i'm always yeah i was always intrigued by charles and i just think that he hopped on this ship like back when 18 early 1800s he was invited to go on a trip around the world and he went for it. He was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to discover mm. the unknown. And he, I just feel like how brave was that to, to, to make that move in the 1830s? Like, <laughs> what was even happening back then? <laughs> it just wasn't a thing, you know, to go traveling. You just... I'm just I'm in awe of the fact that he just he took this upon himself to do this and I do know like I read obviously read the books and I'm sure you have as well and it's been amazing to see you know his discoveries and what he wrote about on his journey but I do know like that was a two-year boat trip or ship 
trip that was supposed to happen, but I think it lasted almost five. So, like, the fact that he was mm. in these wild countries, unknown world for, like, how long, discovering all these cool different species and fauna and what, like, what a holiday. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think he's he's such he's had such a massive influence um, for everything, you know, and I just think it would be absolutely amazing to just sit down and like have a chat about his life, <laughs> how he he did his thing way back when. And um, I think something that I talked to him about with my research, I think he'd be, like, he'd be really blown away with the knowledge that the human body is an ecosystem because mm. I was looking, like I was obviously had to do, like look it up myself, but I think the first discovery of any sort of bacteria being in or on humans happened um, in the mid-1880s and Darren died in the early 1880s. So I don't know if he even knew this piece of information, you know, that like we have got micro, we have organisms, microorganisms living in and on us. So I just think like, imagine that conversation. I think, I think we'd hit it off, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Matt made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, I would be interested in his reaction to that, um, uh, especially just the the knowledge of these these microscopic organisms. Yeah, it would it would have been nice to gauge his reaction. So, just uh, as the second part of that question, I asked uh, Amy what part of her thesis she would show uh, her her date in this case, uh, her date being Charles Darwin. So, you would show him just the. I guess the background information about your thesis and the microbiome itself. Yeah, definitely go into depth there with the gut microbiome. I suppose, yeah, my research project, uh, a lot of it heavily focused on, you know, different byproducts that our gut microbes produce. And I just think, yeah, sure, that's the basis of my project. I just think he'd be (laughs) fascinated, you know? Do you think he'd believe you? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> what a mad question. Great answer, honestly. Really good answer. I don't even know what I would say to that question myself, to be honest. There, there's just so many people that not only thank, but just brilliant minds that I, you know, I would like to, I would like to meet, whether alive or dead. So it, it's good that you thought of, thought of somebody, and he's he's definitely related to, you know. The, the fact of observation, his methods of observation, is something that us scientists uh, use. Um, As a guest, Kevin, and uh, I can ask you that question in the future. <laughs> Give you time to think about it. You're starting a podcast. <laughs> just, just so you can, just so I can ask you that particular question. <laughs> I'll have to prepare for sure. Well, we are at the end. Uh, I, I've, I've asked Amy all the questions that I had planned. Honestly, great, great discussion. We talked about many of the nuances of the thesis process, uh, your experience uh, recently almost finishing your thesis. Uh, you said there's just some small revisions you have to do, but it seems to be on its way to completion. Um, and you had a great experience, mainly towards the end, which I think is something that um, a lot of graduate students now or in the future will admire hearing about. Normally at the end of these interviews, I kind of give the 
interviewees some some time, uh, just some final thoughts that you may have about the thesis process. If we missed anything, if you want to highlight certain things, you know, have at it. And obviously, you have the time to self-promote yourself or causes that you may be a part of that um, you would like to promote. So, um, yeah, if you have any final thoughts to say. Just well, just to thank you, Kevin, for having me on uh, as a speak as a guest speaker. I'm absolutely delighted to finally make the cut. <laughs> um, it's been great. Uh, I had a really good chat with you, and I feel like we definitely covered everything that I can associate with thesis and my experience. And I hope I hope it contributes to someone else's experience in the future going forward. And been great i had a great time that's all i can say i <laughs> i am on twitter you can find me through kevin i actually don't know <laughs> my twitter name that's terrible just goes to show how old i am <laughs> but uh no all all is good i i have nothing else to contribute to it's been great okay so if people do want to reach out to you maybe if they have some questions about it uh the twitter would be the way to go twitter would be the way to go yeah maybe we could add my Twitter handle. That's it. Twitter handle. I'll, I'll add that to the the podcast episode description. That's it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for for coming on the podcast again. You're, you're my first uh, guest outside of North America, so that's that's a plus. First guest in Ireland, so where I'm currently situated now. So a, a big episode, not just for uh, not just for the topic itself, but also the development of the podcast. I'm trying to. You know, branch off into um, different avenues, uh, different academic environments, and I'm happy that you, you took the time just to come on the podcast and t talk about something like the thesis, which is so dry in content and kind of has an interesting uh, aspect to it. So, thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> And thank you for listening to this special Season 3 finale of Metaforogens. What an end to one of the most exciting projects in my recent memory. For one final update again, I'll be taking a brief absence to focus on my academic responsibilities in my new PhD program here at Trinity College Dublin, as well as develop new skills through other SciComm projects. For example, I recently became part of the University Times student newspaper as a science writer and entered into the regional FameLab science communication competition. Keep an eye out as well for a future scientific publication about my master's work and a fiction story publication regarding COVID-19 and cancel culture. The latter I will promote through my Scalene Writing Instagram account, which you should also check out. Otherwise, there will certainly be more Metaphorogens coming to you sometime in September of this year. Note that if you've got interesting stories to tell, I'm always open to collaborate on creative projects. Do remember to leave either a rating or mini-review on whichever platform you choose to listen to this on, as it will help support the show with little effort on your part, and follow the Metaphorogens Instagram page for exciting visual updates as we get closer to Season 4. I have some more exciting ideas to further grow the platform, so stay tuned and hope you continue being inspired about communication and science. Until then, stay skeptical but curious. Bye.